0: If you would, open up your Bible. We're in Daniel chapter 3 this morning. Daniel chapter 3. Uh, Like I said, we've been going through uh, the book of Daniel. We're taking big chunks. We're doing essentially a chapter a week every time that we gather, having the opportunity to look at the story of Daniel. The reason that we call Daniel Strangers, the, the series Strangers, is because Daniel is in captivity. He's finding himself essentially as a slave. Um, he is living as a Jewish, uh, essentially, um, like I said, a slave in the Babylonian Empire underneath the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, who's a wicked king. Um, he's actually a psychopath. And One day he's this way, and the other day he's completely the opposite. Um, so kind of like your boss at work, right? <clears throat> and uh, we see that uh, Daniel is, is consistent, and he's faithful to the living God because in chapter 1, as we know, In 1 verse 8, it says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank, but Daniel resolved in his heart that he would serve the living God, and so he finds himself as a stranger because he's worshiping God, the, the living God, and we, when we have confessed with our mouth and believed in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, we... Uh, enter into God's family, and we are like Daniel. We're strangers in this world. Some of the things that happen in this world don't make sense, and when we're Christians, we're living in a context where we're like, man, how did I get here, and how do I get home? That's what Daniel asked, and that's what we asked. Slipping through social media this week, and I found a quote that I disagree with, so I'm going to give it to you. Um, It says that trials don't build character. They reveal it. That's false. Um, That's fake news, and it should be taken off Facebook. It said, trials don't, I had to write it down. It said, trials do not build character, they reveal it. That's false. Trials do both, right? They build character, and they also reveal the character that still needs work to be done. Daniel finds himself in captivity, and he realizes his character needs work, but also he realized that his character is being built. And we are like Daniel, like strangers, and we find ourselves, no matter what the trial or the tribulation that we're in, we are going to have our character built and we're going to also have character that needs to be revealed. All of us have areas that need work. Look at your neighbor say, you need work. Oh, you chickens. All right, anyway. So Daniel and his friends are taken into captivity. If you looked at the first chapter, we realized they impressed the king in their training. Daniel and his three friends found themselves in training And they essentially said, Hey, we don't want to take the king's food. We don't want to do what the king has for us. We don't do what secular society has for us. We want to do what God has set before us because Daniel and his three friends had great parents who impressed the truths of the word on their kids' hearts. And those of you who are raising kids, you should do the same. The truths of God's word should be implemented in your life. How do I do that? You should get up in the morning and you should have. Um, the curriculum that Jessica Kralman has where you have daily devotions with your kids. If you don't have that curriculum, get it. Uh, my daughters and I, we do it every single morning. It's chaotic, it's nuts, but let me tell you something, at least they get it. Another way that we do it in my family is I pray with my kids when I drop them off at school. Um, right before Gianna goes into the preschool doors and Corrine, before she even gets out of the car to go in the elementary school doors, we pray together. And by pray together, I mean I pray She listens. Because how did you learn how to pray as a kid? You heard it. Nobody sat down with you and said, this is how you pray. You heard it from somebody else. It was modeled for you. And so parents who are raising young kids, you need to model what it looks like to be in your word, and you need to model what it looks like to pray in front of your kids out loud. If you have a problem praying out loud, you need to get over it, period. Okay? Just do it. It's going to be awkward at first, but let me tell you something. It's awesome because you'll look at your kids, and they will start praying, and then you go, be a hallelujah moment for you. Okay? So, so Daniel and his three friends are in captivity, and they set aside in their heart that they would not defile the living God that they knew from the time that they were children. And so they find themselves in this situation where um, they're essentially going to have multiple problems, and they shouldn't have been surprised because the Bible specifically says in this world you will have trouble. So when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you confess in your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, guess what? You're going to have some problems in your life. So don't expect anything less. As a matter of fact, have it be a revelation that God is at work in your life, and you should welcome them. You should say, hey, here's my trial, and here's what God has in store for me today. It wasn't what I had in store for me today, but man, I'm excited that God is going to show me something about my character that needs to be built, but also something about my character that is going to be revealed, okay? So watch this. We go into Daniel chapter 3. There's going to be in the first eight verses some opening remarks. I have a lot for you to write down this morning and try to keep your attention the best I can. In the first eight verses, we're going to start off in chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to carry on for the rest of the morning. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Psycho path. Want to know why? Because from chapter 2 to chapter 3, there's 19 years that took place. Daniel is in his court as we see in chapter 2, verse 49. And he is essentially there to point Nebuchadnezzar back to the king. So he does it over and over again. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't do this, you know, whatever. And Nebuchadnezzar is crazy. So he thinks that it's a good idea to set up a statue that is 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. The breadth is 6 cubits wide. If you're in your Bible and you feel like writing it down, that's 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, okay? Okay. And so we're going to test this later after church. We're going to build a statue of Jordan in the parking lot. Just kidding. All right. And then some of you be like, oh, I'll get to tear it down. I'm sure you would love that. All right. So he set it up on a plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. So the very first verse that we get to, we see that there's an image. Write this down. These are the openings of the story, which give you context for the rest of the text. First thing is there's an image that is constructed. By King Nebuchadnezzar, it would not have been something that was looked at as blasphemous as we see it today. Okay, Here's the reason why. Rulers did it all the time. Nebuchadnezzar's image that he sets up in society is very, very parallel with every other ruler that exists there. When people overthrew territories, they would essentially build statues, and they would say, hey, we want to show people how great we are. And so all he is doing is he is putting an image with the place that he possesses. That's verse 1. So we just see him doing something normal in regards to the rest of the society. But as strangers, we don't act like society. We act as saved men and women. So verse 2, it continues. He says, There's eight people who are set up here in Nebuchadnezzar who he calls them in. we are going to have a city council meeting. Ready for this? He gathers them in. Here's all the people and here's who they are. Okay, so number two, you have eight people who are gathered there. Eight classes of officials. I'll try to go slow. Don't try to write these in your Bible. I did. I can barely read them. But anyway, they gather the satraps, which would have been the counselors to the king. The satraps were those people who counseled the king on affairs. Now, we know that these are horrible counselors because they allowed him to build an image. So, the prefects, which were the military people, the governors were the civil officials, the counselors are essentially the, the people who help the civil officials or the govern those people, the treasurers took care of, anyone? Money? Duh. Okay. <clears throat> you didn't know that? Sorry. The judicious, uh, the, the justices, excuse me, which were the law keepers of the day, okay, and the magistrates who essentially carried out the law of that day, and then the rest of the officials that were gathered there would have been essentially those people who were under the satraps or the counselors, okay? All that to say they're having a city council meeting. All right, Nebuchadnezzar brings him in. He's already built this statue. Whoops. It's kind of like ask for forgiveness instead of uh, permission. So he builds a statue. He brings all these people in. He sits them all down. He's at the head of the table, and he says, here's what I did. And so they would be looking at it going, huh, interesting. So what do we do with it? Well, number three, you worship it, okay? And Nebuchadnezzar says that I want you to worship this statue. I'm going to charge you, verse 4. Watch this. Three is just a continuation of all the people that are there. Four says, they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you're commanded, O peoples, commanded, Keyword there, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the targon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you're to fall down and worship that golden image. Pause. This was not a one-time worship experience. A lot of people look at Daniel chapter 3 and they think to themselves that all this music is just going to culminate at one point. But that's not the case. What would have happened is you would have had one bow down and worship. You had another bow down and worship. You had another bow down and worship. So there's a continual effect of worship taking place that would have been for a prolonged period of time. So if you heard something, you would have worshipped it. You heard something else, you would have worshipped it. You heard something else, you would have worshipped it. I mean, it's like, um, you know, when you're at a, <laughs> I'll, I'll do it, why not? When you're at a Christian concert and it gets to the emotional part, right? Raise your hands, put them down. All of you Christian people, you know what I'm talking about, right? The person who's sitting in front of you, you can laugh. It's funny because it happens. It's real life. And then all of a sudden you can tell the, the song kind of fades a little bit and then they put their hands down. And I'll say, right? Okay, so new instrument. New worship, new instrument, new worship, new instrument, new worship. That's how the people were commanded to worship over and over and over and over again with repetition, not just one time. So when Daniel's three friends are standing there seeing this happening, they're looking to themselves saying, we can't do this. We can't do what these people are doing. And so watch this. So what takes place is there's going to be a penalty if Six, whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is saying you worship this for two reasons. One, you worship because you see me as a political ruler. Two, you worship because you see me being a god. He is placing himself above God. And if you don't worship and fall down immediately, you will be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, worship, pipe, worship, lyre, worship, target, worship, harp, worship, bagpipe, worship, bagpipes in the Old Testament? Yep, they existed. Come on, I'm not the only one who thought that, right? Um, Every kind of music, all the people, all the nations, all the languages, fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, we look at this in this passage and we think to ourselves, how could they have done that? It is no different as us looking at our cell phones every 10 minutes. That's how commonplace this would have been. It is no different for the people to see the image and to bow down and worship like us checking our phones. Because they would have looked at it and said, what significance is this truly spiritual? But there was something going on behind the surface with Nebuchadnezzar. And what happens is, Three people are standing out there, not doing what society calls them to do, and they stand out a little bit. And what happens is, secular people look at those three people and they say, "Uh, uh, 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 uh that guy, what's he doing?" And there's a consequence that happens for obedience, and that consequence for obedience is a trial. And we have choices on how we see our trials. If we're going to be faithful, and if we're going to find our faith in that trial, or we're going to run from it and to avoid it. Dear Jesus, this is your word, it's your truth, and it's so applicable for this morning. And God, as we unpack the rest of chapter 3, would you help us to see the parallels between Daniel's time and ours? And that the faith that Daniel's friends find in the furnace could be something that we too could find within ourselves in the relationship that we have with you. Everybody here, God, is going through a trial, myself included. And we are seeking answers, but the questions that we're asking God or need to be asking, are we seeking answers from you or from somewhere else? And we who are like strangers, would you help us to see the significance this morning in the scripture that is right in front of our faces. As we talked about last week, this is the end times. This is it. We have to get this right. And so would you work through my mouth this morning and speak to the hearts of those people who are gathered here in a way that I cannot so that they could see the validity of what it means to be called your children and live in a distinct different way when the trials hit. Would you do that, Jesus? I believe you can. Amen. All right, so how do we find faith in the fire? Watch this. All right, so verse 8. Therefore, at that time, there were certain Chaldeans, or Babylonians, it's just another word for that, certain Chaldeans who came forward and maliciously, that word maliciously means to tear apart, they were seeking specifically to tear apart the Jews who refused to participate in what was going on in secular society. And so what happens is here, he maliciously, they maliciously accused the Jews, and they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar. Watch this. O king, live forever. You suck-ups. He says, you, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound. Now watch this. The, re- the repetitive worship continues to pop up. The horn, the pipe, the lyre, the target, the harp, the bagpipe, every kind of music that's from you shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever doesn't do that and refuses to worship, they're going to be cast in the fiery furnace. And I think they paused here for dramatic effect. Didn't you say that? You being a good king? Yeah, what about it? There, 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. That goes back to chapter 2, verse 49. Because Remember, Daniel said, would you appoint my friends here because of my faithfulness? And sure enough, they said, oh, those people who are in your courts, there's problems in the government here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They don't serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 13, goes into a furious psychopathic rage once again, and he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought, and so he brings these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answers to them. He says to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up for you? If you're ready to hear the sound and the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the targon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music and fall down and worship the image I have made, well and good, but if you don't do it, you shall immediately be cast to the fiery furnace. Dun, dun, dun. And who is the God that you worship will deliver you out of my hands. So in 8 through 12, there is an accusation on the table. And then in 13 through 15, he gives two chances. Now, watch what happens here to the three. The first thing that happens, the first way that faith is built, is they accept the trial that is before them. Don't miss this in the text. There's an accusation on the table, and when that accusation comes on the table, and Nebuchadnezzar calls for those three men to come forward, they come forward and they say, hey, we have no reason to be hiding from Nebuchadnezzar's worship because we know the God that we worship, and there's no reason that your faith should ever be found hidden. It should always be open and on the surface. Daniel and his three friends' faith was always on the forefront of everything they did in their life. And so it should be with us who call ourselves Christians. Your faith should be at the forefront of everything you do. If people in your life don't know that you're a Christian, there's a problem. The problem is you. You should just know it. They should know it in what you do, and they should know it in what you say. Those are two aspects of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were known for. Their attitudes and their actions were the same as the God in which they served. And so it should be for us. We should find ourselves with faith in the front lines saying this is the trial that is set before me and this is what God has for me and I want to be found faithful with it. And it's hard because if you look in the text, these three men are standing there and they're finding themselves in a situation where everybody is wondering if they're going to do the right thing or not. Notice it's not the three men and just the king. It's the three men, the king, and the whole city council that's gathered there. Did you see that? And so they are pressed with a choice. Now, the question on the table is, where, where's Daniel? <laughs> and here's the biblical answer. Are you ready for this? After months of searching, well, we don't know. For whatever reason he's gone. We think he's on company business. He's probably took the king's credit card and went on vacation. What happens is, which is really interesting, and I think God did this on purpose, is that we wonder if the friends will be faithful without their leader. Because the true test of allegiance is if you can be one who is devoted, while your leader is away. Jesus does it, doesn't he? He looks at the the disciples, and he says, I'm leaving. And they look at each other like, whoa, 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 whoa. we need you here. He says, you don't need me, you're good. You've walked with me for three years, right? you're good to go. And Daniel leaves his friends because he realizes when he leaves his friends that they're going to be faithful regardless of him being present or not. And so all the peer pressure has gathered here. And why do these three men find themselves in a state of peer pressure? And why should they not worship Nebuchadnezzar's image that he has set up? Well, I'll tell you why. In Exodus chapter 20, because they knew this as use, in Exodus chapter 20, you see the Ten Commandments. And they would have known this because they were kids. And in the Ten Commandments, it specifically says you shall have no other gods for me. And so for them, of what they had learned, they were standing there and Nebuchadnezzar built an image and all of a sudden they found themselves here. And so what happens is they're like, we can't do that. That is in direct violation to what God's word says. And we can't worship that because God specifically says, you shall have no other gods before me. And they testified to it with the whole council that was present before them. And this is the reasons why we can't do that. Our Jewish customs say that we can't do those things. Now watch this. When they accept the trial... What happens is they're doing two things, and these are two cautions that we need to have here when we hit a trial too as well. I take two things from the text here. One, when you have a trial that's present before you, and I'm praying that I can do this a good service. You do not sacrifice, first of all, your integrity in the trial. You do not sacrifice your integrity. So whatever trial that you're going through right now, I don't know what it is. Some of you, I do know what it is. But whatever's going on in your life, you find yourself in a trial, situation, or a circumstance. You have to be careful not to sacrifice your integrity. Integrity is a word that is talking about the inside. And in the inside of these three men, their integrity was that they knew the word of God, and so they had a choice of whether they were going to obey that word or they were going to disobey that word. The worst kind of disobedience is deliberate disobedience. Mom and Dad, can I get an amen? Man, it's, it's hard, Right? Why did you hit your sister? I don't know. Oh, you know, you know. What happened? And the worst part is when you see it, right? Because antagonizing, 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 you watch the little fists go like this, antagonizing, antagonizing, antagonizing. I'm not supposed to hit her, I'm not supposed to hit her, I'm not supposed to. Right? This just happened in my house. Integrity is whatever trial you're in, I'm not supposed to hit him, 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 I'm not supposed to hit him. him. And you're leaning internally to loosen the grasp of the control that you have in in the situation. Notice, Daniel's three friends are standing here and their integrity is on the line. How they are inside is on the line. What they know to be true on the inside is on the line. Your trial, what you have on the inside is on the line. And so you have a choice, first of all, internally, in any trial that you're in, if you're going to sacrifice internally what you know to be true. And for Christians, our standard of truth is what? God's word. And so we cannot sacrifice internally our integrity of what we know to be true, which is God's word. So internally, there's a struggle going on with the three. Now watch, there's also an external thing going on. So the second caution is we have to be careful not to sacrifice our conscience. I screwed that up. I knew I would do that. Integrity outside, uh, inside conscience. Okay, So give me some grace there. So the conscience would be the inside, what we know to be true. The integrity would be the outside of what they had seen to be true. That make sense? So if we go back to the text, what we could see is, what's happening here is you have things that are going on of self-awareness of what I know and hear and what I know to do. And so you in your trial, you have two choices. You will either make a choice inside to obey God, and then outside will be a manifestation of that choice, and you will choose to do that too as well. So these two men have to be careful in the trial not to sacrifice internally and externally. I hope that, I hope that makes sense to you. And they do by second thing, watching this, speaking their testimony. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and they're going to speak into the trial here. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, it will be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, this is huge for us. Watch this. When the faith needs to be built... What happens is, first of all, they accept the trial in their life and they speak into the trial. And the first thing that we speak into our trial is if it's especially if it's something of the devil, we say, I don't need to answer you about this matter because God's word has already spoken about it. Nebuchadnezzar knew Exodus 20 just as much as the men knew Exodus 20. Do you get that? And watch this. You see a couple components of their testimony come out. First of all, In their trial, they speak specifically, 16 and 17, about God's power. Notice when they say, we don't have to answer you, but our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this trial. He can rescue us from it. Now notice the three men's faith because they say he can. It doesn't say that he will. Look at Nebuchadnezzar and say he can rescue us. It doesn't necessarily mean he will rescue us. God, in your trial, can rescue you from that, but that doesn't necessarily mean he will rescue you from it. He might need you to be there for a little bit longer so that you can cook a little bit, so that your character can be conformed, so that your, your inside and your outside can be changed and manifested in ways that it wouldn't be if he were to pull you out of it. And so the guys knew in the situation that God is at work and they said, hey, if he's willing to take us out of it, he'll take us out of it. If he's not willing to take us out of it, then he's not going to take us out of it. Now watch this. Keep going. In 17, he says, from the fiery 1st he'll deliver us out of your hand. But, 18, if he doesn't, and God chooses to kill us for this, for our obedience if God takes our life, that's exactly what he says in the text. He's implying that if they've They go in the fiery furnace and they die. If that be God's will, look at what the text says. We would still be saved because we won't serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So not only do they communicate God's power, they communicate and show Nebuchadnezzar God's will. That it's not their will be done, it's God's will would be done. You see that? In the trial that you have right now, have you spoken into it, first of all, God's power? And secondly, have you allowed God to carry out his will? You know, I've I've prayed some big, massive prayers that God would take me out of a trial. And I've realized that that wasn't God's will. God's will was to stay in the trial. These men are not afraid. They accept the trial that's there for them. They accept the circumstance that's there for them. They accept the situation. They accept everything that's going on. And they say, God is in this. He's going to do something great. And we just have to be dependent upon him. We have to be faithful to him. Now watch this. This isn't uncommon. Okay? People do this all the time. Go back. I'm going to give you three examples that happen in the Bible. People have great testimonies. First of all, the book of Job. You know the book of Job? In the book of Job, Job's a a great guy. He's got everything going on for him. His wife kind of loves him. Uh, He's got great kids. He's got farms. He's got land. He's got everything going on for him. Satan decides to pick on him. He says, God, uh, I'd like to terrorize somebody for a while. Do you have anybody in mind? And God, being a great God, you know what he says? How about my servant, Jordan? I mean, Job. And he says, okay, Job will do. And God says, "Uh, why do you want to terrorize Job? He says, because Job's a stand-up guy. He's got integrity. He knows everything. He's he's got it all worked out. And he calls on you three times a day. He calls on you. He loves you. I wonder if he would renounce that faith. But man, if we go into the book of Job, uh, Job chapter 1, verse 20. You don't have to turn there, but I'll turn there. It says um, that Job was in this state. He's in this this situation. And in Job chapter 1 verse 20, it says specifically that he's got all these things going on to him. And Job arose, and watch this, he tears his robe and he shaves his head. And he falls on the ground and he worships God regardless of Satan's torture. And he says, God, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I'll return. And the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Look at the power that Job speaks into his trial. And he specifically says, all this Job didn't sin or charge God with wrong. He also showed his will. We just got done with this, but you go into the book of Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk, man, I love Habakkuk. I don't know about you guys. That was so much fun to preach. I thought that was going to be the worst book we ever looked at, but it was awesome. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, Habakkuk's got all this stuff going on, and his society is crumbling, and everything's tearing away, and he finds himself just in this complete state of disarray. And he says, though the fig tree shouldn't blossom, or the fruit be on the vines, or the produce of the olive fail, or the fields yield no food, or the flock be cut off from the the fold, he says inner peace does not depend on outward prosperity. Our joy and our hope comes from the Lord. Look at at Habakkuk's words. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. There's God's power. God the Lord, he is my strength. And Habakkuk was doing horrible at this point. He makes my feet like deer. Remember, strong, sure-footed, beautiful, fast. He makes me tread on high places. That's his will. And so Habakkuk finds himself with a great testimony, somebody who had awesome integrity outside, conscience inside. Man, are we like that? I'll give you one more because those are Old Testament. You go into the book of Acts chapter 5. We think that we're alone, you know, like we look at this all the time and we think to ourselves, well, that's Old Testament, Jordan. What about New Testament? Well, watch this. In New Testament, in Acts chapter 5, the uh, apostles are essentially in their own, in their own problems, just kind of like Daniel. And verse 27 says, and when they were brought uh, in, they had set before them the council. Same situation that Daniel's in. Are you getting this? And here's the, here's the disciples. Like there's 11 of them, a little bit more than three. And they're in the town council meeting. And all of a sudden it says, we strictly charged you. You don't teach in the name of Jesus, yet here we are. And you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intended to bring this man's blood upon us. You worshiped God when nobody else worshiped God. What are you doing? He says, but Peter, who had a big mouth, answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed. Whoa. Can you imagine the gasp that went out in that town council meeting? And Peter looked and pointed his finger and says, you killed him. You killed Jesus. Jesus. The God of our Father, though even though you killed him, by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand, a leader and a savior to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins, and we're witnesses to those things. We've seen that happen, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us. So we must obey him. Do you see the disciples speaking God's power into the situation? Do you see them speaking God's will? If you're going to kill us, you're going to kill us. That's the way it's going to go down. But even if you kill us, we still gain eternity with Christ. In your trial, do you speak that way? In the thing that's going on in your life, that big issue that's happening right now, I mean, do you speak God's power into that trial and to say to it, you know what, God is greater than this that is in my way or in my path or the thing that I'm dealing with right now. God is greater than this, and I want him to teach me, and I don't want to just remove it. James chapter 1 tells us that over and over and over again, that you should welcome your trials as Christians because it conforms you more to the image of Christ. And then Jesus can speak that, God, whatever your will is in this situation, you go throw me into a fiery furnace, then be exalted by it. Is that our testimony? Are we like this? I think if we were to speak this way, if we were to become a type of church, we're in Corinthians right now in our Sunday school class. We still do Sunday school at Community Gospel because we're cool like that. And uh, we're talking about 1 Corinthians today. And do you know how the New Testament church grew Do you know? By the testimony of the saints. Isn't that crazy? By the testimony of the saints. The people's faith was so prevalent that they shared their testimony of the simplicity of the gospel. That's how the church grew. They couldn't hide it. They couldn't conceal it. And watch this. In the third thing, in Daniel chapter 3, God's victory is given because of it. It always happens. There's always a claiming of victory that happens here. Watch this. So, <laughs> verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar, he was filled with fury, and the expression of his face changed. He was kind of happy. Now he's not anymore. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. <laughs> and he ordered some of his mighty men, oh big guys, here come the big guys, his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the fiery furnace, as if they're going anywhere right that's the best part he's like hey bring in the bodybuilders tie them up and they're like we're not going anywhere and then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats they had hats on and their other garments and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace oh my goodness because of the king's order it was so urgent the furnace was overheated and the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach Meshach and Abednego side note there's casualties in Christian growth did you notice that Those guys had a choice too. You miss that all the time. Those guys served Nebuchadnezzar and because they served Nebuchadnezzar, it cost them their life. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fell bound into the fiery furnace. Here we go. Nebuchadnezzar, he was astonished because he rose up so mad and he declared to his counselors, "Uh, did we not cast three men into the fire? And they answered and said, oh yeah, that's true, king. And what are they going to say, right? No. (laughs) I ain't going there. And walking in the midst of the fire, they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of gods, more like the Son of God. Now watch this. Because they claimed God's victory by accepting trials and speaking their testimony, they gained three things. In verse 24, watch this. The first thing that they gained, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men into the fire? And they answered and said to him, it's true, but I see four men. In your trial you will always gain a new fellowship with Jesus Christ. We believe, I believe with all my heart, that Jesus is in the furnace with them. I believe with all my heart that this is a manifestation of Jesus Christ. And these guys are never alone because God is with them constantly. Do you get that? You'll forget all the time when you are in the midst of people, high schoolers, pay attention to this, okay? I wish somebody would have told me this. When you are in the hallway and you are hard-pressed and it's you against 20 people, you know what? There's two of you. And when there's two of you, there's a majority. And you plus Jesus equals a majority. And so you outnumber no matter how big that crowd is all the time. Man, I wish somebody would have told me that. And same for us. When you're in your workplace and you're in the break room or wherever you go, and you're, you're, it's you against the world there. If it's you and Jesus, it's you have the majority. And there is always new fellowship that can be found in the trials and the tribulations that we face. Always. There's always new fellowship gained with our faith when we're tested. That's okay. It's good that this happens when we have new fellowship. Keep going. Watch. Number two. In 25, it says, King answered, I see fourth men, four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt. And their appearance of the fourth is like the uh, son of God. Well, it's the son of God. But what they're finding here is there's also freedom in Jesus. They're not burned up. There's, There's nothing happening to them in physical wise. They're protected. Do you pray this way at night? That God would protect you? Isn't that amazing? Jesus does this. Bethany and I have been praying this for, oh man, a while. We get to the end of the night. We have our kids around. And Jesus, at the end of his trial, 40 days, when he was tempted, he prays a, a, an amazing prayer. And what happens is, it says that in the Bible, it says, angels came and ministered to him. It's a humble verse. It tears to your mind, just thinking about it. The angels came and ministered to him. Now, the same power that's in Jesus is in us, right? You get this? And so, Bethany and I have started to pray. That, God, will we sleep? Will you protect us? Will you send angels to guard our home? And when we go out and we, we want to do your work and your will and proclaim your power, would you protect us? Would you send your angels to protect us in those places? And I believe that there was more than just the work of Jesus going on in the fiery furnace. There was a whole angelic realm that was around that whole place that was working for the good of those men who loved Jesus the living God. Do we pray that way? For that protection? Do we pray that way for that freedom? And then, ultimately, we keep going. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Verse 26, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out. And seven, the satraps, the uh, Prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and they saw the fire had not any power over their bodies. Look at this. The hair on their heads wasn't sinned. Their cloaks weren't harmed. No smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Head knowledge, not heart. He sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any gods except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Oh, here he goes making laws. Any people... Nation or language that speaks against anything of God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses lay in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And the king promoted them, and there was new opportunities to serve in verse 30. There's new opportunities to serve because of the victory that is given to them. Isn't that crazy? blows my mind. All right, so how does this apply to my life? I'm glad you asked. Okay, three things. First thing, whatever you're going through, I'm going to do this real fast. Whatever you're going through, I don't know your trial, but what we learned from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, at the very core, that your trial, whatever you're going through, is really aimed to bring you closer in your walk with Jesus. It just is. I don't know what's going on in your life, and let me tell you something. I pray some really big prayers for you guys. Man, we love community gospel, what's going on here. Some of you guys are just hurting big time, and we pray big prayers for you. You know we find ourselves on our knees for you. And one of the prayers that we pray for you is that you would see the trials that you face as an opportunity to bring you closer with your creator. And as James says, that you wouldn't run from those, but you would welcome them. And you would have open arms and say, here it is. Here's the trial that God has set before me. Because here's the thing that happens in Daniel chapter 3 that you don't see. Can't you imagine Daniel coming back to his friend's house and being like, "Guys." Spent all the king's money. What happened? And he's like, oh man, Daniel, I'm not going to believe it. And they're stepping on each other, you know? Like like Shadrach, he was up and the council was here, you know? And Shadrach's all like, we don't serve your God. And goes like, that's not how it happened, man. And he like, <laughs> I mean, just, oh, it's been crazy. Look at the fellowship that would have been found in, in that. Oh, isn't that been so cool? Like, and then all of a sudden Abednego's like, no, man. And then I, was, I wanted to run so bad, but I didn't run, man, you know? Just hear their stories. Oh, that's awesome. But there was, there was so many. And they and they get, get to the end, and I know they would do this because they did it in chapter one and two. They would they would gather together, and they'd say, let's just pray. Let's just thank God that he brought you closer to him. Wouldn't that be awesome? And they found themselves in prayer. Man, they were so excited about it. They're like, let's, let's just thank God that this happened. Look at us, we're strangers. Number two, watch what, watch what else happens. They also, trials are times to testify to others. I can just hear Daniel saying, man, I've been telling the king this for 19 years. And here we are again telling him about the living God over and over and over and over again. Did you know that it takes up to 40 times for somebody to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, if you and I, I've seen it on, on uh our social media uh, accounts. We have lots of friends. Did you know that? We have lots of friends in common. It'll say friends in common. If you go on your Facebook page right now and you click my name and you like everything that I do, and then you go over and you see friends, um yeah, <clears throat> and then you put in the uh, you see uh friends that we have in common, right? You can do that. You'll see we have we have lots of people in common. Can you imagine if you told people that I know about Jesus, and I told people that you know about Jesus, can you imagine what would happen? Like, I mean, we could do, we could do 40 like that. Like, there's no problem. I have lots of unsaved friends in my friend list, and so do you. And our trials are times to testify to others. We, we speak to these things. So, I like, said, let me tell you what's going on in my life. Let me tell you the trial that God's got in store for me, and man, this is what, this is how he's been faithful to me. When's the last time you told somebody in your life the trial that you were going through with a smile on your face? Wow, it's huge. And then the last thing: <clears throat> trials also um, can set us free. And I think it's it's so huge. I think these guys sat in their in their room when Daniel came back, and they said, Man, we we might be slaves here in Babylon, but we are free. So for you, here's my two cents. Whatever trial you're going through, embrace it. Speak God's power into it. Know you're not alone. Um, that God will bring victory. And it's all, it's all in your faith. Man, let me pray for you. Uh, Lord God, it's amazing how something like the Old Testament, just which is years and years and years and years away from us, It's just so far back in the past. Speaks in a way that we in our time can't speak. I'm blown away at this story of three men who are strangers. In a land that they don't want to be in. Without their leader. Still were found faithful. And God, here we are. We're strangers too. And we confess and believe in Jesus Christ, your son. You call us sons and daughters. And if you're here this morning and you think that you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that God's word is true, in other words, that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, that his blood, was sufficient for all your sins. Today is the day. Today is the day for you to say, God, I, I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that you died on the cross for my sins and that you, being the living God, want a relationship with me. It's the simplicity of the gospel that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter two. It's it's not far from you. It's close to you. It's not something that's meant to be difficult. It's meant to be simple so that you would understand it and come to Jesus with a faith like a child. And if you're trying to justify why you you don't deserve a relationship with Christ, you need to abandon that lie and give your life to Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have, we often feel, God, in this place, like we're without our leader. Well, Jesus is ruling and reigning at your right hand we sometimes feel like we're wandering without a leader and there's trials and there's tribulations God and so many of us are facing those and Lord as we face our trials would you help us to know that we're not alone that because of our decision to follow after you you have given us a new heart you've given us a new life because of our decision to trust in you you've given us the opportunity to realize that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. And those of you who are gathered here this morning, maybe you need to know that, that God is never gonna leave you or forsake you if you have called upon the name of the Lord, that he is with you right now in the trial that you are facing. God, speak to people today in ways that I cannot and help them to see that that's true. And help us to be faithful, to welcome trials. Help us, Father God, to really speak the testimony, which is your testimony, the gospel that we have received into those situations of your power and of your will. And in those times, speak to us on how you want us to conform to the image of your son so that we would experience joy and peace that are not of this earth. Because ultimately, God, it's your victory and we give you the victory this morning. We give you the victory for things that have already been done. We give you victory for things that you have done in the present and we give you victory for the fact that you will at some point overcome the world and call us home. And we long for that, Jesus. We long for you to call us home. But on earth, may we be found faithful. Help us, God. We know that that's impossible to do on our own. We love you, Jesus, and it's your name we pray.